Hello and welcome to another of the At The Flicks Halloween specials. Now recently there was a most unusual sequel series on TV and that show was Penny Dreadful City of Angels. The original show was surprisingly enough called Just Penny Dreadful. It was a horror series set over three seasons run between 2014 and 2016 and it dealt with famous horror characters in the UK during the Victorian period and it was very much focused on horror. What was unusual about Penny Dreadful City of Angels is there's no relation to the other series except for its name. It's set in Los Angeles in 1938 and deals with two godlike creatures and their effect on some of the tumultuous events of the period. Very different in terms of tone and style. Have a listen to this small extract. There will come a time when the world is ready for me. When nation will battle nation. When race will devour race. When brother will kill brother. Until not a soul is left. Are you ready? And on that day, a leader will arise and set all the kingdoms to war and all the races one against the other. A day when the dark powers are coming into alignment and the world is ready to burn. And all it will take is one final spark. That gives you a bit of a flavour of the show and I thought it'd be good to discuss the show as part of this Halloween special and make it a carry-on streaming. So we've got Deck, our carry-on streaming expert. How are you doing, Deck? I'm fine, thank you. And from Pop Serial, we have Adil, who first informed me of the show with some excellent tweets he was doing. Hi, Adil, how are you? I'm good, thank you for asking. Before we start onto the show, how is the continuing COVID experience working for you both? Uh, Adil, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, Dev, thank you for asking, because this is something I wanted to address, because last time I was on the show was back in March. I do want to apologize for anyone who listened to that episode, because I did downplay it a bit in March. I did say, you know, in a couple months, it'll be fine. And I, I really didn't take it as seriously as I could have and should have. And I do apologize to anybody I might have offended. I do live in the United States, and we have almost a quarter of a million people dead at this point over here. So I just wanted to mention that. To be fair, we all thought it was going to be over quite quickly back in March. You know, the way it went through China. Problem is, I, I would say that we had two governments that didn't treat it as seriously as it, as it could. And funny enough, we're both living in those countries. Yep. Thank you for that. Deck, how about you? Uh, not too bad, not too bad. The winter's closing in now, so it's not going to be quite as enjoyable as the previous time we were in lockdown, I suspect. There's plenty to watch on telly. Keep listening to Carry On Streaming for any tips. As long as the TV's still working, I'll be fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed. When we, go, when we talk about the Christmas Carry On Streaming, I believe they have filmed um, that Matron show. What is it called? Oh, Call the Midwife. Yeah. Yeah, they've done oh, the sorry. Christmas special of Call the Midwife. It's all filmed. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Great. Everything's yeah. going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Hadil, you have Downton Abbey over with you, don't you? 
Yeah, they played on a PBS over here. I, yeah. I have family members that watch it, but I don't personally watch no. that. Go three levels down, and you're at Call the Midwife. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, no, but- I think we get that show over here, too. They also play that on PBS on Sundays. It's just like a torture channel. <laughs> <laughs> right, from one horror to another. So let's chat Penny Dreadful City of Angels. Throw this question out to start off with. Has anybody seen the original series? And if so, what did you make of that? I am going to watch it, though, if I can, because when I was um, researching for this and checking a few facts, I noticed that it's been getting really, it got really good reviews. So I may go back and try and watch it. The first two series are interesting. And the only member of the cast who's in both, but playing completely different characters, is Rory Kinnear. He plays the Frankenstein's monster in the original series and his entrance is I had to play it back. I thought, I just can't believe what I've just watched. I thought that was quite good. And the, and the way it definitely played those penny dreadful or those sort of pulp tropes, I thought was good, but it sort of lost it in the last series and ended it rather abruptly. So just watch out for that. So who else is in it? You've got, um, you said Frankenstein, have you got sort of things like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? I'm trying to think of, You've, Victorian London type you've characters. Got, you've got the the Frankenstein. It's, it's also got demonic possession as a theme that runs through it. Dracula is oh, referenced right. throughout. Well, Frankenstein and the demonic possession are the two main things that run through it. Billy Piper's in it as well. Apparently everyone says Ava Green was very good in it. Ava Green is really good. She actually keeps her clothes on for two scenes. Wow. No, I don't believe that. Graham's not interested yeah. anymore. <laughs> you know, I didn't realize she's French. Yes. Oh, right. I didn't know that. What, why didn't you? Because she doesn't have a French accent. She has a perfect English accent. Mm, yeah. Peter Sellers was English, and yet his Inspector Clouseau is perfect. <laughs> and we've now descended down the rabbit hole. Let's turn to City of Angels, which is a completely different show. Before I go into the certain points and draw them out, just want to get your overall impressions of the show. Hadil, I'll start with you, if you don't mind. So overall, uh, my family and I did enjoy it. We all watched this together um, every Sunday. What Showtime did, because when the pandemic started, Showtime decided to give a discounted rate for their subscription service. So I had subscribed, and we watched the first episode, and we loved it. Um, There is one major thing that really bothered us, but we will get to that later when that question comes up. Okay. All right. Graham. Overall, I enjoyed it. I thought the ending was a bit weak. I kept getting it confused with Perry Mason because it had the same central uh, female character in the evangelical person. Um, So I kept mixing the shows up. But um, yeah, I enjoy, overall, I enjoyed it. I thought it was okay. I, I, uh, that's funny you should say that. And we'll, again, I'll draw that out later on as well. That, that very same thing. Deck. Uh, well, I thought they must have got the title wrong because I thought it shouldn't have been Penny Dreadful. It should have just been Dreadful. Um, it was <laughs> it was bland. It was boring. I thought the pace was way too slow. I mean, I, lo- I don't mind slow, but it was really slow. Um, it wasn't creepy enough if it was supposed to be. The only bit that was remotely sort of scary was the, the little boy, Frank. I mean, I was interested in it. I was interested in it because of the time period and the history and the politics, because I, I know little about that era in LA. I was interested also because it mirrored a lot was of what's going on in America at the moment in terms of racial tensions and the politics and stuff. So from that part of it, I was interested, but I just found it was trying to do too much 
of everything. So it was trying to be as scary and it wasn't scary. It was trying to be a detective story and it wasn't just a detective story. It was trying to teach me about uh, religious mythology and it didn't really explain it enough. And it was trying to be sort of a family drama. And again, it wasn't really. It was just too many things. And I don't think it succeeded in any of them, really. We come back to this in a moment. Neil? I'm fully with Deck. There's so many stories, themes and everything, but there seemed to be no clear path through them. There's so many things that didn't make sense or why they bothered to do them. There were so many interesting bits, but then they went off and did something completely different. I mean, it looks fantastic from that respect, and the and the cast are fantastic. I got the impression I should have been just, just been watching Chinatown. It would have been better. Okay, well, I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought the whole thing of the mix and match of the various plot points that were going on was really good. I was absorbed with it. I found certain aspects of the stories more interesting than others, but I found them all all interesting. I didn't think it was as pretentious as the original series. It was very pulp, very detective-y, but it had a blend of horror and, and mythic. I consider that round one. There's Hadil and I on one side, Neil and Deck on the other, and Graham's stuck in the middle at the moment. So let's see Let's see where this goes. Firstly, I want to start with a point that Graham mentioned there about Perry Mason, which was running at the same time. Now, Perry Mason had super high production values, more so than this. Uh, but, but I thought its production values and its recreation of time and period was really good. Uh, again, I'll throw that open. I'll start with you, Deck. Did you think its production values worked? No. Did you watch something different to me? Um, no, I thought the sets looked like film sets. I thought they really did. And the CGI, oh, especially, I mean, episode episode one is supposed to be the one that really hooks you in and catches you. And from a story point of view, it probably did. But that fire at the start, I mean, was that deliberate? I don't know. And that outfit that Natalie Dormer wears is just atrocious. Right from the start, it seemed a bit tacky. I don't think it had high production values, not from my point of view. Graham, were you watching a different show to me? <laughs> yeah, I, I've got to be honest. I'm going to come back on this in a minute as well, but I, I'm biting my tongue for a moment. Yeah, I thought the production values were great. I thought Los Angeles looked fantastic, and I thought the place where the um, where the sort of the uh, evangelical people lived looked great, and I thought. It just worked very well together. I like the club and the sort of downtown area where they all danced and went drinking. I thought that was really good. I, yeah, I, I liked it. I, and I thought the costuming was fabulous. I really did. They, they had that sort of, the suits looked like zoot suits all, you know. Yeah. And I thought it was just very well done. And the cars as well just added. To it. So I thought, yeah, it didn't strike me as off. Yeah, because Showtime are no slouches at throwing money out there. I say it's not quite up there with Perry Mason, but it's not far off. Do we do we but, know whether they were all sets or whether any of them were locations? Do we know? I mean, I didn't, a, a deal? Um, I'm not sure whether they were all sets or locations. I really haven't done research into that. Uh, for the most part, I think it looked pretty good. And if anything looks cheap at all, I think I was a little more forgiving because it is on Showtime over here. 
And I know that, you know, HBO over here is owned by Warner Brothers, which has more disposable income. Showtime is owned by CBS, which has, you know, not as much disposable income. Let's not forget that HBO, you know, is willing to throw a hundred million dollars at the pilot of Westworld, whereas CBS might not be, uh, you know, as able to throw that much money at a pilot of a TV show. No, that's fair enough. Neil. Well, I'm sorry, Deck. I thought the um, production values were particularly good. It was a beautiful designs, um, and I thought the special effects were pretty good. I must admit, when you mentioned the fire, I did watch the first scene again just before I came on. The fire looked a bit weird, but yeah, apart from that, I thought everything was good. I read that the you know the scene where they found the bodies in the concrete in the where the water storm drains storm drains. That's it. Um, apparently, they didn't exist at that time. That's what I read. I don't know if that's true. They were built later on. Uh, I don't know whether that was just fake news or not. I'm not sure. um, No, I think it was in in the 40s. Because they're in in Chinatown. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're definitely in Chinatown. And Chinatown is set earlier than this. Nobody's ever picked up that uh, they missed it. Maybe it was one of those things that someone just put on the internet and it wasn't true, which does happen. That that would never happen. (laughs) (laughs) Again... I thought the production values were really good. As I said, I mean, and and I take a deal's point is that, you know, the amount of money HBO threw at Perry Mason, you, you felt you were in another world. This isn't quite there, but I, I thought it made the most of it. Okay, well, the disagreement continues. Although Neil slightly rebelled there. There is a lot of history in this and there's a lot of things. Some of it I was aware of, the growth of the Nazi party in America in the 30s. And there was some of it I didn't know. And the key characters that kicked this off, Magda and Santa Murte. Santa Murte. You've researched it, haven't you? <laughs> no, it's Book of the Dead. Okay. Um, the, the, um, um, it's in Coco. Um, no, well, City of the Dead was the better film, but Coco overshadowed it. But yes, the two Book of, of the them Dead, are Santa not Muerte. City of the Dead. Santa Book Muerte. of Life, you're Book thinking of. Book of Life. Of. Guillermo That's del Toro. It. Sorry, carry on. Sander <laughs> de Muerta. Yeah, but those characters I didn't know, and I had to do some research on them. And again, found out, like everything else in the show, there is a lot of truth behind them. Certainly, they are deities that a lot of people follow. Did anybody else have to research them like I did? Uh, Graham, I'll start with you. Oh, yeah. I sat for ages in front of Wikipedia trying to work out what this was. Was it a a South American version of voodoo or that sort of thing? And I spent a lot of time looking things up. And that's half the fun of it, get to learn something new. It was really, really interesting, especially how poor displaced people would gravitate towards that sort of more folklore type religion than um, the main sort of Catholic religion, which was the sort of official religion of the Latinx community. A deal. Okay, before I answer, I just I just want to point something out. You accidentally credited Book of Life to Guillermo del Toro, and it's actually a Jorge Gutierrez, who I follow on Twitter, Tis. who yes. also made the cartoon El Tigre, and he's working on a new cartoon, uh, Maya and the Three, for Netflix. So I just, I just want to make sure he gets credited properly. Yeah, yeah. No, that's I, right. I've no. talked about for a film I thoroughly enjoyed, I know nothing about it. When's that show oh. coming on, Adil? I'm not sure. He keeps, again, I follow him on Twitter. He keeps talking about it. I think it was supposed to come out this year, but obviously it was harder to finish the animation. I think it's coming out. He said it's coming out 2021. And then I think Netflix just announced a, a deal with him to do more animation 
I think yesterday, actually, as as far as this recording goes, as of yesterday, I think they announced on Twitter that they're having a, a larger overall deal with him. It's a good film, though, Book of Life, I must admit. I, I was well impressed with it when I saw it. I saw that in America. I saw it in New York, funnily enough. But anyway, Hadil, back to the question. I believe you, you did a little research on them as well, didn't you? Oh, yeah, on the deities, um, I think I Googled it a little bit. I might have read a little bit, but again, I, I watched it. Uh, a few months before you all got it over there uh when we were watching the first episode like i said i watched it with my sister who knows more about this stuff than i do she had to explain some stuff to me i had never really heard of this religious belief before but she talked about it a little bit with me about how it's kind of looked down upon in the lennox community a bit as far as i know because you're not you know praying to god and jesus you're praying to these other deities which uh could be seen you know as sacrilegious oh wow isn't that why isn't that why she's um santa murta is popular with people that have been sort of rejected from the church from the catholic church yeah it's that's she's sort of popular with uh criminals and um homosexuals and other people like that that are sort of don't fit into other religions is that did you know this or did you research it like the rest of us i had to research it so (laughs) um i knew nothing i just watched the series and it was only um i think after talking to you jeff that i thought (laughs) i actually ought to look into this a bit more and uh, yeah it was quite fascinating actually and um quite a a growing religion by the sound of it it seems to have uh, blossomed in the in recent history so yeah it's it's interesting she's popular with outsiders and at which point i'll go to neil Um... (laughs) (laughs) very funny She's a deity that people pray to to um, help them to, you know, cure ills and protect them and such like. I'm not sure how they managed to um, arrive at that one instead of Christ. This is some places, especially Mexico, where they've got so many problems that she is the person they'll pray to instead of a statue of Christ, for example. Uh, even though they're Catholics, it's sort of moving away from that. It's termed a cult, but I think it's a bit more than that. There's a genuine belief that she can cure, she can help them. It's interesting as well because there's, there's only her. There isn't her sister Magda isn't actually part of folklore, is she? So isn't yeah. So the way the way I read into it is that some of them believe that there's she has three different manifestations. So, but but the thing that I read up on that that is just, which is why i didn't really know i might have known it better if if she'd have appeared as she's supposed to as a skeleton so she didn't did she so i think that threw me until until later on that it was the actual connection because normally when you see her appear as santa Murta, she's she's portrayed as a skeleton let's turn to some of the performances on the show see how they work now i want to exclude nathan lane and natalie dormer for now i want to deal with those separately I'd like to ask who impressed you the most, Neil. I'll start with you. And now you got me because those are the two that really did did uh, impress me. Rory Kinnear is always good. I liked him. I didn't understand the whole storyline or what the point is. I thought he was good. I think Councilman Townsend, Michael Gladys, was as creepy and horrible as it's possible to be while being completely untalented. Funny if he is one of the characters that stood out for me, Michael Gladys, because. Mm. He, he is a foul character, but there are moments in there where you feel sorry and you see how he ended up as he did. Yes, the father that just thought he was an idiot, so dismissed him. Daniel Savato's uh, Tiago is fine, but every time Nathan lays on, Lane's in the scene, he gets overshadowed. Yeah, which is why I pulled Nathan Lane out and put him separately. A deal? Which performances stood out for you? Uh, definitely the mother, Adriana Braza, who I feel kind of ashamed for 
not really knowing about her prior to this. I mean, she was the grandmother in the Dora the Explorer movie from last year that I really enjoyed, but she's been acting you know, steadily for decades. And I just remember seeing her in the first episode and just being in awe of her. She's such a great, wonderful, emotional actress. And she just did some really great work in this. And I feel really bad. So I need to go back. I need to watch some uh, films that she's been in. I know she was in that movie Babel or Babel. I don't know how to pronounce that. Oh, one yeah, properly. yeah. Yeah. The, the yeah, yeah, so I, the, yeah. I know that's on Netflix. So I need to go back and watch that. I really want to watch her uh, prior performances because I think she's a real talent that's really never been focused on as much as um, other actresses around her age. Yeah. Again, it's a really difficult role because you're not center stage, but you are the one that seemed to hold the family together. And I thought she was tremendous. She basically had two storylines, the family and the story with Rory Kinnear. And I thought she did well in both. Did she know she's in Rambo Last Blood? She was, (laughs) ah, yes, yes. She was the the mother, wasn't she? Uh, not mother, wasn't she? She was an aunt. She was a housekeeper, sort of. Housekeeper, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the one whose um, niece goes goes off to Mexico. I didn't make that connection. Thank you for that, Neil. That's a pleasure. Um, <laughs> Dick, any performances for you? Um, I think most of them have been mentioned. I'd say the same ones. Definitely Michael Gladys and Adriana as well. Oh, and by the way, Hadiel, I must say, if I hadn't have listened to your podcast where you recommended Dora the, the Explorer, I wouldn't have watched it, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was one of my favourite films that I watched during lockdown. It was really good fun, so thank you for that. But uh yeah, no, I agree. So far, um, all the people you've mentioned, it's been the same, really. Yeah, again, yeah, uh, Adriana Barazes. The thing that I like, when you watch a really good actor or actress, they just become the person. And you could actually see her as a mother, struggling, working hard. And then when she goes into the house of the rich family, she's still got that motherly influence, even though the kids are horrible and even though this witch has brought in this demonic child, she still tries to protect everybody and keep things right. It was just a a really masterful performance. I also like Tiago Zavato, was it? Daniel Daniel Zavato. Zavato. Yeah, he, I thought he as a leading man was very, very good, very believable. And um, yeah, I thought, they all worked well. Roy Kinnear was just Roy Kinnear. He's just excellent. Everything he does. And Michael Gladys as well. Yeah, excellent. They were all good. I thought the performances were, were the outstanding bit. I have some problems with the with the story, but I thought everybody's the performances were good. The only one we haven't mentioned who I thought is worthy of note is Adam Rodriguez, because he goes from the hothead to a completely changed character. And I thought his role was developing nicely and had there been a second series, it would have been interesting to see Mm. where he went because he was beginning to reawaken at the end of the first series. Again, I thought a very believable performance. What a story arc he had. He's sort of very, very powerful in the first couple of episodes. And then he just almost disappears as he disappears into hospital and those sorts of things. And then he comes back. And then, he, yeah, it was a quite a challenging piece of acting for somebody, you know, to be start that dynamic and then go sort of almost comatose. And then this slow emerging of his person, his new personality. I thought that was quite, quite interesting and, and, and quite a dynamic range he had to show there. As you know, I left two actors out 
And the first one I want to talk about is Nathan Lane. And this was a revelation for me because I only know that Nathan Lane as a musical comedy star, things like The Birdcage. Jimmy Riley, he was murdered last night. A declaration of war. I know you're hiding something. <sighs> Goodbye to your weak and worthless gods. It's time to purge. playing very much against type he did this world weary detective and i just thought and not only that he was you know hunting down the nazis and the jewish nature of the character was coming out in a way i thought was very strong very powerful very emotional to me it was brilliant the most outstanding acting performance in there because i i did not expect it pass that out to others to see if they think i'm right or wrong so graham i will start with you well i just watched nathan lane in the birdcage a couple of months before this started and i couldn't believe it was the same actor he was just a, was an absolute transformation i thought he was great he was world weary with a capital w he really was you know, everything was an effort, but he was razor sharp. So his external persona, especially to the Nazis, so they thought he was a clown, but inside he was just figuring it all out. And he worked out how all the connections worked in LA very, very quickly. And yes, I enjoyed him. He had a lot to do and he did it all brilliantly. It cannot be the same actor who was in the birdcage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and when he had to kill that chap at the end, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen it yet, that, that moment where he realises he has to do it because of what's in that guy's brain. Yeah. Uh, I thought, again, great. And the way he was thinking. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. was a shock, wasn't it? Neil? I agree with both of you. He's set apart from the others. I mean, Natalie Dormer has a four roles, is it? Yeah, Nathan Lane just sort of stole every scene he was in. Fantastic. Oh, yeah, definitely. Nathan Lane was a character definitely my family was very charmed by most of the time. It's really interesting when you think about it because he would be really, really charming and steal scenes a lot of the time. And then his character would say something unspeakably racist out of nowhere. (laughs) And I mean, yeah, but I like that this show did that because there were multiple characters who you, yeah, they had prejudices. And they were racist, but then they were also seen as really complex human beings, like the councilman, like the doctor, like Nathan Lane. Like they all had these flaws about them where, you know, they didn't have an understanding of the different, you know, cultures and type of people around them. But then at the same time, the show shows you that it, nothing's black and white. Like there's not just, oh, well, he's just been racist once, like that means he's automatically a bad person. They allowed every single one of those characters to be complex human beings with flaws. Yeah. And that was the world they were in at the time. You know, what we see is racism and wrong quite correctly now. They didn't see that back then. It was the way they lived. And that's not excusing it, but that's the way they were. And as you say, you can have a really good person, but underneath of it is this undercurrent of racism that is repellent today. I don't think it was an undercurrent in LA in the sort of late 30s. was profoundly racist. Uh, I think you can come a lot closer to home as well. (laughs) Dick? I agree with all the points made so far. I I think Nathan Lane stole every scene he was in. 
and I'd have liked to have seen more of him and I probably would have liked to have seen it more of a detective story because of him. As I said at the beginning, I think it was too, trying to be too many things. And I think if it had been just a detective story with more of Nathan Lane, I think I'd have enjoyed it a lot more. And I really must take my hat off to the costume department because they managed to put him in a shabby suit all the time. And he was right next to uh, the other detective who was razor sharp and he always looked immaculate. And then you, the camera would pan round to Nathan Lane and you'd think, oh God, do your tie up, man. Pull your shirt straight. He just looked a shambling mess as he went through that. But again, it's what's in his head that counted. And I thought that was really well done and hats off if you'll pardon the pun, to the costume department. Yeah, like when the Jewish period of mourning when he was renting his clothes. Yes. You're not making that suit any better, Nate. Got to be said. It's interesting what you said about um, Nathan Lane in Birdcage because there's this thing that goes around amongst comedy actors that you know acting in comedy is the hardest form of acting. And when people like Nathan Lane make straight acting look so easy, it sort of adds weight to that that comment that that if you can nail comedy acting you can nail any type of acting and when you're performing against robin williams you know you've got to be on your yeah on your toes so we reckon he was good now the other one there is natalie dormer an actress who for this took on multiple parts so a deal did she carry that off and did she go a part too far all right so here is my one major problem with the show for the most part, her characters were okay with me. There was one character that uh, she played in this, which was a part of the Zoot Suit Gang, where it, it didn't really make much sense because like, like in dialogue, they explain that she's not actually Latinx, but they let her in the group anyway. And if you've seen like the movie Zoot Suit, you know there were white members to the Zoot Suit group. That's fine. But for some reason, Natalie Dormer decided to also lay on a very, very thick uh, stereotypical Latinx accent on top of it, which really rubbed me and my family the wrong way anytime she was on screen as that character, because it really seemed unnecessary. Because like I said, if you actually like, you know, look into it, like in the Zoot Suit groups, there were white people there and they didn't necessarily feel the need to, you know, uh, lay on a, a thick accent to be there. There was a really wonderful TV and film critic, Candace Frederick. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter. She's really wonderful. And she talked about, she watched the show as well. And she talked about how it's really frustrating when there is a show with a lot of people of color in it, but those people of color seem to be pushed to the side at times in order to showcase the white person in the foreground and show them off. And I do agree with her to an extent that at times this show did feel like that, that the it was trying to be a showcase for Natalie Dormer and it kind of swept the you know talented um, Latinx people to the side at times. I think that's a, that's a very fair comment in relation to that character. Would a woman have risen to the top of a Zoot Suit gang in the 30s? Um, I'm really not sure about that. I mean, that might have been kind of manufactured for the show as well. I really, I, I don't know a lot about Zoot Suit Kings. I just, like I said, I had already seen the movie Zoot Suit with my sister earlier this year, because I think that was also on Showtime as well. They were, they had that in the catalog and so I don't really know a lot. I, I would have to do more research, but um, yeah, no, no, I, I, I don't think so. No, no, yeah. I don't, because I'm just thinking of British gangs 
and you wouldn't get certainly in the 30s and even now but but certainly back then you wouldn't have had women heading up and controlling gangs you take a film like brighton rock which is based on the gangs that were in brighton in brighton in the 30s and those were all male controlled so that i found intriguing with the character yeah no i do take your point that she had all those roles and a lot of other characters were were pushed to the background and as we've already said, there were some great performances going on around her. And that German accent was horrendous. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> yeah, it, was it was terrible. Was it that? was really bad. Yeah, I just think she right. was told to do lots of strange accents. And There was no food in Berlin. So we had to leave. Leave or die in the streets, yeah? We went to the country where there, there should have been food, but there was only soldiers. Oh, I don't know. It just didn't work with me. It, it annoyed me. It grated me. It confused me at the start. And then and then I sort of realised, oh, she's playing different people. And then I don't think any of the roles she played actually were believable at all. Oh, no, i got um, to take exception to that. The well, the, the counsellor, the one, the advisor to the counsellor, I thought that was really good. Uh, Alex Malone, as she was yeah. called, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, that was I, I can best. accept all the arguments that have been made here, except for that character, I thought, there, the way she you know, became this mousy character, but this steel underneath of it, I thought was, was really good. Again, I didn't think she'd be listened to as much as she was in that position i just don't um, in those days in uh, you know a female in the 30s would have been second class citizen almost and i just right. think she they wouldn't have listened to her so intently as they did well you see there's the thing because she was playing it deferential she was getting away with a lot more so if you take the zoot suit gang character who was very assertive and in your face but so as alex malone i just thought that balance and bearing in mind she is attached herself to a very weak character anyway. So, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and she knew his secret, and he knew she knew his secret. Yeah. And that's what gave her the control, was what I thought, anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that was sorry, scary, sorry yeah. Deck, you were saying? I was just going to say to Graham, big fan of Underworld, what did he think of Magda's outfit? Because. I just thought it was atrocious. <laughs> it was, it was it, you know, just the, the, the long black thing yeah yeah i mean black bin liner and that was interesting because i thought are they going to make a big feature of this because it'll flow around her and 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 they only used that once when she was walking down the road and all the windows were were exploding behind her and i thought oh that's quite a a nice procession she's made there but they never made anything out of it and it did look really cheap and horrible and they could have done something better maybe they spent all the money on her sister's outfit I'm looking at a picture of her now, and it doesn't look horrible. I bet you are, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't look horrible. Maybe it just came across that way. But, uh, yeah, we could have done maybe done with more of that. Okay. Let's move on for performances then. And, and let's talk about some of these subplots that were going on. You've got the rise of the Nazi party, which they were trying to do across America, but particularly how they ingratiated themselves into Los Angeles, I thought was really, really well done. You've got, you know, the throwing people out of the, their, their homes, the destruction of the transport system, which, again, funny enough, was a theme from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And when I saw it in there, I thought it was a joke. And actually, it's genuinely true. 
although it, it took place after World War II, not before, they destroyed the whole transport system. Well, they to built it for the to... car. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so all of these themes that it's picking in, and you had your choice of stories. There were some that really intrigued you. The Nazi story for me was uh, absolutely fascinating. Although when it got to Rory Kinnear's character, I thought he was a bit wet. I didn't really like him at all. He was well, just he was so a weak. wet person, wasn't he? I mean, but it he was, was until the end, and then you started to see the character underneath of it, you know? And you could see where that arc was going to go with him. He is going to be all the goodness that you've had in season one is going to slide away in seasons two and three. Well, well, he was struggling with it at the end, wasn't he? He was really yes. struggling, but he really yeah. couldn't bring himself to do a Nazi salute. Yeah, no. Maybe, yeah. yeah. The gang culture, I take all the comments that, that have been saying sort of, you know, about Natalie Dormer's character, but the way that gang culture worked, I thought was was interesting. Deity stuff is the but didn't really work for me, I guess. But I'm curious for, for everybody else. Deck. Um, what I thought was interesting, I, I, I agree exactly what you're saying, Jeff, which is one of the reasons I, the series didn't really click with me, was it was trying, to, again, trying to be like a box of chocolates, all different flavours, and there were quite a few flavours you didn't like, which meant you couldn't enjoy it as much as if it was all your favourite flavour. So I just think it was trying to be too much and i think again with the nazi party thing i mean surely if my history memory is any good weren't the communist party the big ones in la in the 30s i thought that was the whole point i thought they were the rise of the communist party was huge in the 30s especially in la and they didn't seem to appear at all in this series which i thought was odd no, that's um, a very fair point actually you're right it yeah. was especially in show business all the um they were all interviewed, weren't they? And they were all accused of... The House of American Activities, yeah. Yeah, and so to, to miss that out annoyed me a bit. <laughs> there were elements of it that interested me, but not enough. And then I wanted more. Of the ones that there were a little bit, I wanted more, and I wasn't satisfied. So as I said earlier with the Nathan Lane character, I would have liked more of a detective one it, it, because that was what the bits that I was enjoying most of that story and less the other bits but it just meant I wasn't satisfied in it. I wasn't scared enough by the horror. I wasn't you know, intrigued enough by the detective story. I wasn't moved emotionally enough by the family drama. I just, I just didn't quite get, get there for me. Hadil, what worked for you plot story-wise and what didn't work for you? Now that everyone's you know, talking about it and I've had a couple months to really think about the show, yes, it is a little messy. I'm not going to pretend like the show was perfect by any means. But I do think a good piece of writing, a good showing that there is good writing in this is that when you want to do a story about a specific time and place, when you want to, you know, put a mirror up to the world, I think it's really smart to do it during a transitional period, which this show does. Uh, like you were talking about, they talk about the motorway, which, you know, would later become freeways in America which like you mentioned they talked about in Roger Rabbit because you know when you when you talk about change you show how it affects people you show how it disrupts people's lives you show a, a piece of history really because you're showing like I said change going from one way of life to another and I, I think that was really smart to include stuff like that to include you know the looming 
fascism. I, I don't know how present that was in LA in 1938, but it's it's definitely it's more so a concept I think than an actual saying that it actually happened. I want to say because this is 38. This is a you know a couple of years before America finally decided to join the war. This is kind of a looming presence to kind of show what is to come for this particular country at this particular time and how uh for the most part everyone kind of just wants to ignore it and hope it goes away that makes an interesting crossover into the uk at that time because you know obviously the uk goes into the war in 39 but before that the the love for the nazi party and uh for adolf hitler was you know it was quite widespread certainly amongst uh, a lot of the ruling classes in the uk the king who abdicated in 36 was a big fan of hitler's so it it, it was everywhere you know and it, and it was only gradually that it changed it was no sudden change although i do like dex's point there that there's no mention of the communist party which was very big at that time as well do you think the writer put the Nazi party in there because of what's going on in America at the moment? That's the feeling I got. I forgot I got it was sort of put in there as the writer probably isn't a Trump supporter, I suspect. And um, it was almost his angle on what's going on now in America. And he was sort of saying that these guys were nasty guys and they were doing it. And yet there's some people doing some pretty nasty stuff at the moment. So that's what that's what I felt anyway. Yep, you stole my point. I was going to I was going to make that point. Yeah, the racial tensions, the hate, yes, hate yeah, groups, yeah. the corruption. Yeah, there was, immor- there was a lot. Immorality, yeah, yeah, everything. Yeah. yeah. See, I just wonder whether if that hadn't have been going on in America and he hadn't have put the Nazi element in and it had been a, a story more about, you know, a detective story with some racial tensions with the creation of the freeways and – uh, the dividing of them and us between the you know the the Latin Americans and the others, it might have been a really interesting story. But then again, I suppose that'd have been Chinatown. But yeah, that would have been Perry Mason because that 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 really it comes out in Perry Mason quite a lot. But the things that worked for me were so I, I had a, a slightly different view. I think the researchers on this show did a first-class job. They really researched the period. We had lots and lots of interesting things about the period and about the rise of the motorways, the the destruction of the uh, public transport system in LA and all of those sorts of things, the destruction of the Latinx community's homes just to move them out of the way so they could build roads. I thought the researchers did a fine job. Then when we get to the writing room, I think there were a few people in the writing room who were really good and a few people who were quite lazy because I think some of the stories and some of the plot points were really well thought out. I liked the Nazi thing. Um, I thought that was very, very well done. I liked the piece about the actual central mystery of who killed the people under the bridge. I thought that was really, did, really interesting. Did you really? Because yeah. that's just thrown away in the end. Exactly. Mm, but I, I thought it was it was going somewhere. And I thought they would pick it back up in series two, which never happened. So I had this thing where, yes, I enjoyed it from uh, the, all of the facts and figures seemed to work really well together. But on the other side of it, the, not all the stories worked. 
So that was just my view. That I think some people in the writer's room were not at the top of their game. At least for series one, they may have expanded it out in series two and three and four, or however many they were trying to go well, for. If, if it was following the same template, it would have been three series. But what I would say is the original series lost it in the, in, in the final season. Jumping around a bit now, so I want to talk about the music. I thought the music, particularly in episode three, uh, episode Wicked Old World, where they do the dance-off, that dance number I thought was amazing. Uh, Adil, did that work for you? Oh, yeah, when the first time you get to be in the club with them and they have the dance, yeah, that's great. And, of course, the dance sequence in the first episode as well with Tiago and his mother, um, that's just a really beautiful sequence. I mean, it's definitely simpler, but it's just, you know, a mother and her son just trying to enjoy the moment and they're dancing together and they're just on the street and you know, they're trying to get the, the other older ladies that are just kind of sitting there relaxing, trying to dance too. like just something like that. I'm really grateful that this show took time to focus on something like that, because that's just a little wonderful moment that I feel like other TV shows would have cut out before the final edit. Yes. I, I agree completely on that. Neil. Yeah, yeah, fine. Yes, absolutely. It was, it was, as you say, a really, really quite nice moment for on on both of them. But the the one with uh, Tiago dancing with his mother was excellent. Uh, I'd love the whole dance thing as well. Anyway, with with them all getting involved and the family tensions, etc. That was brilliant. Graham. Yeah, I, I, I like the contrast in the dance. I like the soft shoe shuffle of the mother and, and son, just, you know, that sort of slow swirling and the camera moving around them. I thought that was lovely. And then you get to the big dance number uh, and that's bang right in your face and everybody's on the beat and they're hitting it absolutely, nailing all those dance moves and sliding across the floor. And it looks so cinematic. I was really impressed with that. Whoever did the choreography knew what they were doing and was really at the top of their game on that one. Yeah, it was excellent. Dick. Trying to be a musical as well? Maybe just, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Again, another thing, another thing. And and yeah, it was was good, but did it really fit in with everything else? I don't know. You've got a an... green costume for Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah, I have. <laughs> um, I, no, I, yeah, on its own, as a scene, it was good. But I, again, I don't... Maybe I just was losing interest at this point. <laughs> I don't know. Bar humbug. Exactly. So, okay, let's look to bring this to a conclusion. Now, deal. as you're our expert in this field, <laughs> I felt there were many pulp elements of the period within the show. Do you think they all worked? For the most part, like I said, I mean, when you when you sit down and actually think about the show, it is a bit of a mess. I feel like when you're watching it, you're just so entertained that you don't really care. I mean, they make a lot of little references, like the family going to see Adventures of Robin Hood. The kids in the first episode listen to that radio show. Uh, you know, they mention characters like Tarzan and whatnot, like just random uh, references across the series. It does follow the rules of pulp. I don't know if I've ever talked about that on the show, but you know, you have larger than life characters, um, both in the fact that there's literally one Latinx detective on the force that's a little larger than life. And, you know, of course, the, the deities, the spirits, they're obviously larger than life. Uh, you have plenty of kiss, kiss, bang, bang with his um, his romance with Carrie Bechet. And then, of course, you would have, you know, before the episode would end, somebody would, you know, get shot up with a Tommy gun or there'd be like a car chase or just something fun like that in order to give you those elements. 
And then, of course, I mean, you know, you had out of the frying pan into the fire. Things would constantly get worse for the characters every episode as, you know, the their world seemed to get smaller with the destruction of their neighborhood and, you know, this impending, you know, Nazi force that seems to be taking over the town. Um, for the most part, I think it did a good job. Yes, I'd agree. I'd forgotten about the adventures of Robin Hood and that whole sequence that reminded me of Day of the Locust as well, where it all just went wild. But yeah, no, that that's great. Neil? Um, I'm, I'm in complete uh, agreement with Adil. Yeah, it, just, it was a little bit of a mess. I just did not get the evangelists what the point was. Um, move that out. But yeah, the tons of lines, different things, it all got worse. I, yeah, in that respect, it was sort of entertaining. But yeah, just I switched off when the evangelism and the and the, everything to do with the girl and the the mother was very good. But I, I just switched off. I just thought, what, what's the point? To me, that was showing the corruption of church and state and how it was it all linked together. Does it matter? Is it the point? But you've got Tiago's quest for respecting LAPD, a detective story. You've got the racism, police brutality, racial tensions, Nazis, etc. Why do you have to have this whole separate thing with the, with this um, church? Doesn't seem to fit. Graham, I just liked everything about that. As I said, I've got a few problems with some of the plot points, but I thought the overall, I really enjoyed it. You know, I was really looking forward to to season two because I thought, yeah, this is going to be, you know, the Empire Strikes Back. It's going to step up a level and we're going to get more detail. And Natalie Dorman's going to get a new black dress and it'll be better. Um, (laughs) You dirty old man. (laughs) <laughs> no, oh, no, never changes. I, no, same. I thought her her black dress was a bin bag, and um, bin bag. and and after me praising the uh, the costume people for doing such a wonderful job on the men's suits, they didn't really care about her her dress. It didn't make her f- any more evil, you know. the The thing about her good sister was her covered in pearls and and that sort of i I uh, think you need to be careful on the good sister she wasn't exactly what i would call good she's on the fringes here yeah okay yeah but yes she's she's an interesting character but you know they spent a lot of time working with that and then they just said oh here's two bin bags natalie (laughs) off you go it was good television you know and i was waiting for the next one and it never happened and which leads me in to my final question, because the show's now been cancelled. <laughs> what would you have liked to have seen in the second series? So you might as well pick up more bin bag, Graham. Anything else? I'd just like the other writers in the writer room to get a chance to move their store, their their pieces forward. You know, I wanted to find out more about the Zoot Suit gang and, and what happens there and, and how that expands out and yeah, and those sort of things. And what what about the roads? And and what about the city hall angle? And what's going to happen there? But no, no none of that came through. Deck, what would you have hoped for? Just a few episodes. <laughs> um, I wouldn't have watched it. So <laughs> it doesn't matter what they'd have done. It, it, I would not have gone back to see a second series. Okay. Sorry. Neil. I probably would deck actually. I I struggle. I, I struggle to watch the whole thing. 
Um, I was at halfway through an episode and I'd stop. You struggled to watch it, Neil, because you thought at any minute that bastard's got me on watching a horror film and something nasty's no, no. going to happen. No, no, it, it, a lot of people said it wasn't. Um, uh, it wasn't a horror film. Yeah, I, I was the main one that told you that. Yes, you did, and I didn't believe you, but I. Nobody I, ever does. Other people did, so I believed them. It just wasn't that good at being a dark fantasy. I felt. I mean, there were brilliant bits in it. There's no cohesion. There was all these stories, but there seemed to be no clear path through them. Do you think it might have been the editing might have been at fault? I mean, I hadn't really thought about it until Neil was Possibly. There, but, I, I think but, it was the writing. Um, I mean, if you'd have, if they'd have done an episode maybe from a like a different character's point of view or something, it might have been a bit more coherent because you might have got mm. the view from the, the cop and then the view from his the Jewish cop and then the view from the latino and then the view from the gang it might have the, the bittiness might have worked better if they'd have oh, yeah, I, I disagree with this because i loved that sort of jumping around and it kept my interest throughout so i'm, I'm now going to give the last word to a deal who hopefully he's going to save me on this and give out a great view of what he would what we would have seen in a season two uh, so definitely in the season two, I would have liked a little more focus on certain things, like more focus, definitely more focus on time with the family. Um, I, I would have liked, because if you look at the credits, the first like two or three episodes, they have Latinx directors. I would have definitely liked even more Latinx directors mm-hmm. directing episodes. Um, I don't yeah. know how many Latinx people were actually in the writing room, but there probably wasn't enough, if we're going to be honest. So that would have been nice to help flesh out the family more. Mm. Just like I said, more focus on certain things. Maybe not as many storylines in the second season would have been nice. Definitely I wanted to find out what would have happened with the doctor and his family. Hopefully he would have seen the light and rebelled against fascism as America was looking on to World War II. I mean, I think it could have been interesting. I think even if, like, let's say it would have been interesting if they had jumped forward a couple of years to the point where America was forced to join World War II and yeah. to see how that affected everything. And because obviously, because of World War II, a lot of like funds uh, for certain things couldn't go to something like a motorway mm. because, you know, you had to, you know, put in all that money for tanks and planes and munitions and uh, you know so much money went toward world war ii it would have been interesting to jump ahead a couple years to see how that would have affected all these you know different projects that they were trying to do over the course of season one yeah i would have loved to have seen that at the moment it's not to be but series have a habit of coming back around again when you least expect it so who knows now before i wrap this up and i'm gonna cheat a little here i have our streaming expert. I have a, a a pulp expert here. I've got to ask you guys one at a time, and I'm going to start with you, Deck, because you you didn't side with me on this. Um, <laughs> Halloween's coming up. What do you recommend for people to watch on Halloween, either a series or a film? You've thrown me in deep end, and I wasn't expecting absolutely. That. Um, See, I've given uh, her deal time to think. Something that. Um... I know is definitely on or something that's been on in the past. But... Something's been on in the past. Oh gosh. Well, one of my, I don't think they'll ever show it again. I don't think they'll ever show it. But the thing that scared the living daylights out of me was when I was on my own on Halloween and the BBC showed that the fake live thing where they were pretending that they were walking around that house and it was done live and you were meant to believe it was actually happening. What was it right. called? It was like a one episode 
a haunted house in real time. Really? Yeah. You, do have you, you not it? heard about this? And the ramifications no. of what happened after? Yeah, they won't show it again, I don't think. No, no, just... there's a reason for that, Deck. Somebody Why? committed suicide after Well, it. yeah, because it was so scary. It was terrifying. <laughs> That's what I mean. It was one of the best things I've ever seen. I was on my own, and when my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, when she came back in, I was so relieved because <laughs> I was just sat in the corner shaking. I just couldn't, because it was done so well that you were like, did I really see that? It was in the background, and therefore you weren't sure whether you just saw it or whether it was actually there. You were just like there thinking, am I going mad? Did that actually happen? And it was it was the scariest, but yeah, you're right. I don't think I don't think I think they wiped no. all of so you can't. They, did, they, did, they deleted everything from this. Yeah. Have, have you ever heard about this deal? No, but we had a similar thing over here in the nineties. Um, it was supposed to look like it was recorded by an actual family, like who lived out like in the middle of nowhere. And like, it was supposed to be like them recording on their, their home video camera. And it was supposed to be like aliens showed up and like weird things were happening around the house. And, uh, a lot of people, of course, it was the nineties. Like there was no, you know, internet access wasn't as prevalent back then. So you couldn't really look it up. But yeah, a lot of people I remember at least like around me thought, Oh my gosh, this is real. Like. I've never yeah. heard of it. Ghost Watch is what it was called. Ghost Halloween nineteen ninety two. On the basis that nobody can watch that because the BBC okay. deleted all, right. all the tapes. <laughs> because, <laughs> okay. All right then. Um, well, my my scariest ever film that I still love to this day is the original, The Haunting, um, oh. which I think is brilliant. Yes, um, that would definitely be there. Um, but what I would say, actually, this is good actually because it's only just come out. It's only available on Blu-ray. It came out last month, I think is the original TV series of The Woman in Black. That is brilliant. You can get it now on Blu-ray, and if you haven't seen it, it is a lot terrifying than the Daniel Radcliffe remake they did, but it is really, really scary, and I would thoroughly recommend anyone watching that. Have you ever seen the play? Oh, yes, and I was terrified in that well, as well. See, the first half really got me, and the second half, I thought, uh, not, not, not quite working for me for some reason. Oh, it worked for me. I was sat there, and I again, much like the Ghost Watch thing, I thought, "Is it only me that's seen that?" And then you're, just, <laughs> you're just thinking, "You think, oh my god!" And you just you are. You're just you, you, you think you're seeing things. You think you you are actually genuinely terrified. Hadil, what would you recommend for Halloween? So I've already done a couple posts on Twitter as far as recommendations go. Um, so I would skip Netflix for people. No offense to Netflix, but their horror section's not very good. I've heard good things about Vampires vs. the Bronx. I can't tell people to go watch that because I haven't watched it yet. Um, so I'm going to leave Netflix out of the equation. Over here in the United States, we have Hulu. I've already recommended some things from there. Uh, definitely one of the things that is on there that I highly recommend is uh, Lady in a Cage, starring Olivia de Havilland. Who, oh, brilliant. Uh, James Caan. Yes, his first, yeah, his first leading role in a film because it has an introducing credit in there. Uh, sadly, of course, as you all know, she passed away earlier this year at the end of July. Uh, so they added it back on the service for Halloween. And then on Tubi TV, which is a free service, I think it's over there in Europe over there now for y'all to watch. You probably remember me talking about the service because this is the, the free service I watched that um, Roger Corman documentary series on yeah. uh, a few months back. And so I, I think it's available over there for you as well. I recommend that documentary series. That's great. They have a horror episode uh, just dedicated to his horror films. And then on there as well, they have several um, Vincent Price horror films, which 
Vincent Price was my gateway into horror. I was really scared of horror films as a kid, but uh, House on Haunted Hill was really the first one I sat down and fell in love with. That's on there. They have Last Man on Earth, which is brilliant. They have uh, William Castler's The Tingler, which is ridiculously silly, but another wonderful uh, Vincent Price film they have on Tubi TV. Have I told you the story of The Tingler and what happened when Castle put that in with the electric shock buzzers? Don't remember if you did. So William Castle would have these sort of like events around a horror film that House on Haunted Hill, they'd have a, a skeleton on a wire run down the screen as, at a particular point in the film. But with the tingler, they put these electric buzzers on seats so that when the tingler gets into a person, they say the way you get it out is you scream. You've got to scream as loud as you can. They set off these buzzers. So certain seats had these small electric shocks, you know, like a hand buzzer going through them. And it worked fine, they thought, initially. And then they realized people were pissing themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> they were getting this electric shock and the bladders went. <laughs> Excellent. So, uh, can we change that chair out, please, in row three? Yeah, change yeah. it out. Oh, Neil, good job you went there, eh? Yeah, definitely. Would be, <laughs> definitely. Would it be more in the bladder with you, I would have thought. Oh, uh, oh <laughs> and, and Neil and Graham not going to recommend any horror. Yeah, Diaz said um, uh, Netflix don't have a very good horror section. I'll be watching Netflix. Uh, which, is, which is good because on our review schedule, Phil has picked Vampires versus the Bronx, as Adil has just said. So, yeah, you will be watching Netflix. Vampires nice versus the Bronx. The Bronx. Right. I'm looking forward to The Haunting of Blythe Manor, but I've heard it's not meant to be as good as the first series, which is a shame because The Haunting of Hill House was pretty creepy. but uh, I, I must go and watch that, because uh, that's Flanagan, isn't it? And I really rate him as a director. Yeah, I, I mean, that, the, the Haunting of Hill House is very good, but I haven't got around to watching the second series, and it apparently is not as good. It's not as scary, I've heard, but it's yeah. a shame. Have you seen, and, and this is quite an odd film for me to recommend, but Ouija Origin of Evil, and it's sort of a prequel to the original Ouija, which I've never seen. But I happened to be somewhere when this Ouija Origin of Evil was on. And uh, that was Mike Flanagan. And it's just so good. The film is set in the 60s. And he uses the original Universal logo. So, like, as a nerd alert for me, I love that. But he also has put in fake cigarette burns where the real changes would be. And you're watching this film, I thought, oh, there must be a mark on. But it can't be a mark. It's a digital print. And sure enough, every 20 minutes, the cigarette burn comes up to show that a change of real. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And the film's not bad, but yeah. Anybody seen it? No, you're on your own there, Jeff. So the, the original Ouija was a long time ago, was it? Yeah, um, that was, yeah. So that was set modern day. And I haven't seen it. And I, I don't hear very good things about it. It's Olivia Cook's in it, I think. But I just happened to see this prequel that's set about 30 years before. Doesn't really have a relation to, to that film other than, obviously, how this Ouija thing became haunted. But the thing with Mike Flanagan is he's a director who doesn't rely on too many jump scares. It's old-fashioned suspense. You see it in films like he did Oculus, Doctor Sleep, and The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. And he's just a great horror director. So, guys, thank you very much for an informative discussion and for the recommendation of uh, what to watch this year for Halloween. Personally, I think you can do a lot worse than binging the series of Penny Dreadful City of Angels this Halloween, although I suspect Neil and Deck won't be doing that. (laughs) 
However, it is well worth tracking down. Guys, fascinating discussion. Thank you very much. And I look forward to some future chats. Maybe, um, obviously, we've got some carry-on streamings and we could talk Pulp for Christmas with some shows coming up, if that's all right with you, Adil? Yeah, sounds good to me. Excellent. Cool.